Let's stand together. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, and in those days, what are these days? These are right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Judas has, has died. Jesus spent 40 days on earth with them. He's now ascended into heaven, given them the great commission. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. So it's interesting. He's going to refer to Psalm 41.9 here. And he says this is Holy Ghost inspired by the hand of David concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, he was one of the twelve, and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Remember, we pointed that out when we were talking about Judas. I think this verse indicates that his life and his death were both very tragic. And Peter's mentioning this. Verse 19, And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Alkeldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, he's quoting Psalm 69, 25, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, or his office, his position, let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. I want to speak to you tonight about Matthias the replacement. Matthias the replacement. All right, you tell me my microphone is not on. I turned it on, but it is not on. All right, thank you. Am I good now? Can you stop harassing me all right very good all right let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for your goodness to us and i do pray that you'd help us tonight to learn from this uh ordeal in the new ch in the early church there's something in it for us to learn tonight and i pray that we would truly apply this and it's in jesus name i pray amen thank you maybe seated appreciate you standing some of you sports fans will remember this i'm sure uh tina perry that great sports fan she's really been bragging about her uh, Super Bowl winning team. Uh, she pro I'm sure you remember this, Tina. In 1987, the NFL players went on strike. And nothing makes Americans happier than when multi-millionaires who get paid to play a game go on strike. We just love that. We really do. And, and so they went on strike, and uh, the, the weeks of the season, four, five, and six, were played with replacement players. And some of you that are sports fans will remember that these replacement players were affectionately called scabs. How many of you remember that? T Tina, raise your hand. Raise your, yeah, that's right. 
They were called scabs. In fact, Hollywood made a movie based on this idea. They called it The Replacements. Now, I don't know if that was a good movie or not. I just know they called them The Replacements. Well, it just made me think of that. Who was going to replace Judas? And if this, whoever this was that replaced Judas, would they just be considered a scab? Maybe they just somebody to throw in there, to throw on top of the thing. I mean, just pick somebody and let's move on. Is that what was going on here? I mean, think about it tonight. How would you have liked to have been Matthias? I mean, you're replacing one of the most notoriously horrible people in the whole world. How would you like to be his replacement? Uh, I mean, you're replacing Judas. And remember, he's always called in the New Testament the traitor. That'd be kind of tough, honestly. How would you? I was thinking about this. We're going to talk about Matthias tonight, but how would you like to be in justice? You didn't get picked. Man, I mean, maybe he, maybe he felt relieved. Maybe he felt rejected. I, I, I don't know. If you study your Bible, you're going to come across this idea right here. Many, many Bible commentators and scholars and even preachers have suggested that this whole replacement idea was a mistake. They say that this was driven by Peter just being Peter, you know. He stands up and says, I got an idea, let's do this. And he kind of rushed ahead and he did his own thing. He was impulsive. He was acting without waiting. And, and they, they say that about this situation. They say that the, one of the evidence of that is that Matthias was never heard of again. So clearly this was a bad choice. Now, I personally disagree with that. I don't think Peter was being impetuous. I, I mean, think about it. They waited. They waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They waited in an upper room, and we're going to see how this process came about. So I don't think this was Peter being Peter personally. And you say, well, we, what about Matthias? You never hear from him again. You don't hear anything about him. Well, how much, how much do you know about Bartholomew? He was one of those guys, too. It doesn't say anything about him. Does that mean he was discredited? Does that mean he, he, he was, uh, shouldn't have been in the group? No, that doesn't mean that at all. In fact, we could say it this way. Fame in this life does not necessarily mean faithfulness. Lack of faith, fame does not necessarily indicate unfaithfulness. And faithfulness does not guarantee fame. Somebody say, what? what? Okay, I just, just say amen and we'll move on. A lot of people say Paul was the one that was supposed to fill this spot. But you understand, Paul wasn't going to get saved for, for a few more years at this point. It was going to take some time before Paul gets saved, and Paul is, is trained and, and brought up to speed in this situation. And so I just would have come away with this. This is just the way I, I would understand this. If this was such a mistake, don't you think that in this text, there would have been some kind of hint that what they were doing was wrong? And there isn't a single one. Nothing in this passage indicates that these guys were making a mistake, that they were doing something wrong. And by the way, I would say this, it's crazy to think that God would allow such a critical error to be made in such a critical office at such a critical time in this fledgling church. I believe that this was God's working and God's moving. Uh, surely God would not provide them with all of the right resources like the Holy Spirit and 120 people praying together at a prayer meeting and apostles that have been trained and ready to go at Jesus' ascension. Surely God would not have provided them with all the right resources and then just allowed them to pick the wrong man. It just doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem what we know about God. It doesn't seem consistent with the whole story of the book of Acts. It, 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 it just doesn't jive. 
Somebody said this, bad decisions make good stories. Eh, Maybe that's your mentality, but I would tell you this, all Scripture is profitable. And this text is not just the record of a bad decision providing us a good story. I believe that this text teaches us the process of actually making good decisions. I don't know about you, but I think that's how you could do that's one of the ways you could define wisdom, making good decisions. How many of you have made a bad decision that you regret in your life? Okay, every hand should go up. I don't know about you, but I would like to make more good decisions than I ever make bad decisions. So how are we going to do that? Well, aren't you thankful that the, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable? The Bible will tell you how to make a good decision. And I want to give you tonight, this is something that will help us individually and collectively. I want to give you tonight three steps for making good decisions. And you'll find it right here in this text. Three steps for making good decisions. Now, this might not blow your socks off. But it's there in the text, and I think we need to be reminded of it. Number one, search the Scriptures. Look, don't don't roll your eyes at me, and don't get tired of me. The preacher is supposed to remind you on a regular basis to be in the book, and to know the book, and understand the book, and dig into the book, because it's going to help you make good decisions in your life, among many, many other things. Let's, Let's just journey through this text and see the role that the Bible plays in the decision that they made. So we see in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up. I circled that in my Bible. Peter stood up. I like that. Peter was not standing against this group. Remember, they were in unity. These 120, they were in the upper room. They were praying. They were all together. He wasn't standing against them. He was standing with them. And I want you to notice what he does when he stands up. What he's doing is he's providing leadership. And praise God for people who provide good leadership and take a stand for what is right. I tell you, we've had our fill of weak leadership. People won't stand against what's wrong, stand for what's right. Sometimes I think we as Christians, by the way, and I might get a little preachy, so you just bear with me if you, if you don't mind. Sometimes we as Christians, we kind of, well, I don't want to make any waves. And, you know, Jesus taught us to have peace and unity. Hey, Jesus caused so much division in his day They had him executed. So I'm telling you, a lot of what we say in our world today, well, I don't want to create it, you know, that creating disunity, I tell you, God hates that. Well, listen, if if, if the disunity is created because truth is on one side and error is on the other side, I say bring it on because that's what Jesus did. And if that ruffles some feathers, somebody's got to stand up and stand for what's right. Jesus didn't preach and teach peace at any price. No, sir. No, sir. And I think he always did it with a good spirit, and we can too. But again, praise God for leadership that will take a stand for what's right and take a stand with a good spirit about it, but be willing to fight for something. Because I'm telling you, if you won't stand for something, the old adage says, you'll fall for anything. And I'm telling you today, we've got a lot of Christians who are falling for, for a bunch of error and apostasy and heresy and blasphemy and error, and, and they're not standing for anything. They didn't stand for anything, and now they're falling for everything. And they sound just like the foolishness of this world. And I, honestly, it shocks me. And somebody said when I came in here today, we were talking about a, a, a contemporary issue, and they said nothing shocks me. Well, it still shocks me. It bothers me that people aren't standing for what's right and counting the cost of these things. I'm thankful for a man like Peter who stood up and provided some leadership. This uneducated fisherman, notice where he stood. He stood firm on Scripture. I mean, like me growing up in church, 
We sang that old song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And Peter did that. You'll see it here. I want you to notice some things that he believed about the Bible because we need to search through the Scriptures if we're going to make good decisions. Notice what he believed about the Bible. It's a great, it's, it's kind of a, a great lesson in bibliology, just kind of a bibliology 101 right here from this uneducated fisherman. Notice what, he, what he's teaching and preaching. First of all, he believed in the authority of Scripture. He believed in the authority of Scripture. Notice what it says there. He says there, Peter stood up and, and, and he says, Men and brethren, the Scriptures must needs have been fulfilled. I mean, he, he's talking about the authority. This, this, God said it, and so therefore it's done. He's speaking about the authority. You see, Judas's betrayal had been prophesied hundreds of years prior in Psalm 41.9, and he quotes that passage. He alludes to that. Now, I want to say this to, again. I want to get a little preachy here tonight. Many people are putting question marks where God years ago put a period. You see, what, what, what Peter is saying there is he's saying, listen, this, God said this was going to happen. And if God says it's going to happen, he's the authority. When God says it, done. That's where, that's where it goes. I mean, remember that years ago, oh, that, that bumper sticker. I know you don't see those as much, but that bumper sticker, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And, and man, you might be tempted to say amen about it, but you can just take that whole I believe it out of, out of the middle of that. God said it, that settles it. I mean, that's all. It, and so when he said this is going to happen, then Peter said, hey guys, hey, we, we're just players on the stage. This is God's word said this was going to happen, and it happened. So let's not put a question mark where God has put a period. Let's stand on the authority of God's word. G. Campbell Morgan was a very uh, great preacher. God used him. He, he was the predecessor of Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel, and a gifted preacher. His books are still in publication today, and I'm sure there are people sitting in this room, uh, along with myself, that have been blessed by many of the things that G. Campbell Mark Morgan preached and, and wrote about. And he was a great preacher of last century, and he was raised all his life believing that the Bible was the Word of God. But he did like what many young people do. He left home, and the agnostics and atheists and liberals planted doubts in his mind, and he got confused. So he started reading as much as he could. This is a quote from him. I started reading as much as I could on both sides of the Bible issue. When I got done, I was more confused than ever. So I decided to do something different and just read the Bible itself and ask God to reveal it to me that it is His Word. When I walked out of that room, I didn't think the, the Bible was the Word of God. I knew it. And I hope you've gotten that settled a long time ago, friends, that this is the Word of God. Because listen carefully to me. You're going to hear on, on social media and YouTube channels and all kinds of people who call themselves preachers, many even wolves in sheep's clothing calling themselves Christian teachers and preachers and leaders. Just recently, Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, was, was preaching and talking about that we, don't, we shouldn't stand on the authority of God's word and to say, thus saith the Lord, is unacceptable in our culture today. Well, I got a Greek word for that. It's a real fancy one. I mean, that's all I can say about that. 
The Bible is God's word. And I don't care what some wolf in sheep's clothing says. And I don't care what anybody else says in our culture. I stand on the authority of God's word. What he says is far more important to me what any influencer on the internet happens to say. I don't just think it's the word of God. I got this settled a long time ago. I know it's the word of God. And you can, you can give me your fancy books from your fancy authors and your high education and all of that kind of stuff too. I'll just stand with the book and stand in the authority of God's word. Because that's what he did. He said, God said it. That settles it. This is what was supposed to happen. Number two, notice this. He believed in the authorship of scripture. He, he says, I love this. He says, which the Holy Ghost, which was spake by the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David spake. He, he, he points that out. And what's interesting to me that, if, if you're a Bible student, it ought, to, it ought to click in your mind real quick, real quick. Because Peter, years later, is going to write an epistle. He's going to write a letter. Remember, Peter wrote this. And in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21, this is what he said. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. And some of you will recognize this, right? He said, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He, he, he was so impacted by this that he writes about it later under inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself. And so he believed in the authorship of Scripture. Notice this too, he believed in the accuracy of Scripture. In verse 26, he says, concerning Judas. And, and what he was doing is, notice this in the text, he is basing the decision in verse 20 that they're going to make on Psalm 69, verse 25. So in order to act out these principles, he had to know the book. So that's why you have a preacher who's always up here beating the drum. Read the Bible, read the Bible. Did you read the Bible today? How many of you read your Bible every day this week? Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And I'm constantly talking about that. Why? Because you can't make principled decisions if you don't know the principles. You can't fulfill the scriptures in your life if you don't know what the scriptures say. And that's why I believe that it's been a tactic of our great adversary, Satan himself, that we are no longer as a culture, we're not readers. Our educational system is slipping. Everybody just wants to look at a screen and read something that way, look at something that way all the time instead of reading what God has penned. And how can we make good decisions if we don't have anything to base our decision making on? If you're ignorant of God's word, you're going to be ignorant of God's will. Those two things go hand in hand. Ephesians 5:17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How am I going to understand what the will of the Lord is in my life? Read what he said. He's revealed his will to us. You say, yeah, but I want to know what job I'm supposed to take. I'm going to tell you right now. God is not necessarily going to tell you what job to take uh, exactly, but he'll tell you what kind of job to take. Did you know God doesn't tell you where you have to go to church, but he tells you what kind of church to go to? There are all kinds of principles in God's book you familiarize yourself with, you will make good decisions. The principles of God's word must guide and direct you. And again, I'm just telling you, I'm appalled at many Christian people who are not dictated by the principles and the precepts of God's word. They're not dictated by the laws of God's word that are not moving and bending to the winds of our culture, but rather they are dictated by their circumstances. They're dictated by their feelings. They're dictated by their families instead of being dictated by the word of God. And that's a recipe for making bad decisions. Number two, I, I, again, I, this is going to blow your mind, really going to blow your mind. Spend time in prayer. You want to make a good decision? Spend time in prayer. 
You say, well, I want something deeper. I'm sorry, it's just what the scriptures are saying. I'm going to show you this right here, right here in there. It, it, it says that he talks about how it's all written and this and that. He talks about the scriptural principles. That's where he started. Look at verse 24. And they pray. They'll make a good decision, pray over it. See, what, he, what he, they understood is if this replacement is going to have to have the same apostolic ministry, then he had to have the same apostolic qualifications. So that's what he starts saying. Look at verse 21. He says, these men have been accompanied with us, I like this expression, all the time. You know what he's saying there? We're looking for a faithful man. Have you noticed how churches sometimes pick people to do things? They do stuff like this, Brother Mark. Sometimes they'll say, well, man, I sure want to get this guy plugged in, and so I know he's not here all the time, but we want to, we, we, we want to maybe, maybe if we give him a job to do, he'll start being more faithful. And then they give it to him. That is the exact opposite. Again, you got to know the scriptures. J Jesus taught us if you're faithful in little things, then I can give you big things. So you don't pick somebody hoping they will be faithful. You pick somebody who is already faithful. And a lot of times we have new members that say, I want to get involved in this church. You know the best way to get involved in this church? Just be here all the time. I promise you, you will have jobs. You'll be telling me, uh, preacher, I can't do that. Leave me alone. All right? I'm telling you. All right? Got to be faithful. Uh, notice this, they had to be experienced, verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us. That's, that's a span of about four years. He, he, he was saying, listen, these guys have got to have some experience. If you're going to be an apostle, you've got to meet that qualification of having some experience, having some being taught by Jesus and learned from Jesus and have some experience. Then, then it says there, he says, and ordained to be a witness with us, of his resurrection. So again, you had to be familiar with the teachings that Jesus gave. And, I, and notice this too. Here was another qualification. It says ordained to be a witness with us. Meaning this, they had to be a team player. They had to get along with other people. You, you ever seen that, that expression, does not play well with others? Right? Well, if you wanted to be in this group, you had to get along with other people. And that was a qualification. And aren't you thankful that they didn't dummy down the qualifications just to take somebody? And unfortunately, churches do that sometimes. That's a bad decision-making. Bad decision-making. It's not based on Scripture. Listen, we went through recently the book of Titus. You remember that? And we went through qualifications for a pastor. We went through qualifications of deacon. And listen carefully to me. I don't know that I pointed this out very well when I was preaching through that, so I'm going to point it out tonight. Don't think to yourself that that's, okay, well, that's pastors. Pastors have to live by that. That's what pastors need to do. That's what deacons need to do. No, no, no. I believe that the Bible's teaching us that's the standard that we should all be living by. And when we're all living by that, out of that, people should be picked to fill these offices. And, and, and th th these were the qualifications that they set based on the way Jesus set them among his apostles and so they, they searched the scriptures, they understood these principles, then they had these qualifications, and once they, they, they found men that met these qualifications, then they had options to pick from. It's kind of like what we have here in the church when we select a deacon. Maybe when you're selecting a pastor, I hope you're not in the process of trying to select one. I hope that you took care of that a while ago and you settled on that, but you might have a bunch of resumes and you're looking at all of these qualifications and now you've got many candidates and we've got many men that could serve as deacons and they're all good and qualified men, but we need to only pick a certain amount, so how are we going to do that? Verse 24, and they pray. Did you know that prayer is mentioned in almost every single chapter of the book of Acts? Now, do your own personal study and read the book of Acts and see in each chapter how many times and how often prayer 
is mentioned. You see, prayer is essential when making an important choice of any kind. That's why we need to pray for wisdom. Hey, friend, can I encourage you to memorize James chapter 1 and verse 5? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. And by the way, wisdom is making good decisions. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. Aren't you thankful that God does not treat you like you're stupid? That's what that verse says. He'll upbraid you not. Have you ever asked somebody a question before and you didn't know? And, and they treated you as if you were a moron? That's happened at our dinner table before. It, I've, seen it, I've seen it when my older kids, they're taking higher level math. And one of the younger kids is like, you know, you know, five times five is 25. And the older kids are like, everybody knows that. You're stupid. You know, sometimes we can do that to one another, can't we? <laughs> How did you not know that? <laughs> well, aren't you thankful that the omniscient God of all the universe, when we go to him and we say, I don't know what to do, he doesn't go, Psh, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't. He, he blesses us with wisdom and helps us make good decisions when we ask. I'm thankful for that. I've often defined wisdom as doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. I'm going to tell you, there's been times where I've been a little confused. God, I think this is the right thing to do. I know it's the right thing to do. I've searched the scriptures. This is the right thing to do, but when do I do that? How do I do that? Am I, do, am I doing that for the right reason? God gives us wisdom when we don't know what to do, but we must ask. And you know it's true what I'm about to tell you right now. Too often, you and I, we make our plans and we make our choices and then we pray and ask God to bless what we've already decided to do. That's wrong. That's a recipe for a bad decision. Can I encourage you tonight? Things happen when we pray. A lot of people have a life verse. You know what I mean about a life verse? Something like when they sign their name or, or maybe at the end of a letter or something, they put a, a verse reference by their name and it's kind of their life verse that they try to live by. And a lot of times people put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. What a great life verse to live by. But you know what you're saying in that life verse? Before I make big decisions... I pray, I acknowledge God in all my ways, and he will help me make good decisions. Number three, here's probably the hardest. Submit to God's will. Submit to God's will. You know, sometimes you're going to find in life that you're facing two options. And these two options appear to be equal in value. And that's what you had in this situation, right? Matthias and Justice. These men met the qualifications. These were good men. There was nothing to indicate otherwise. These were both good men. So now what do we do? Sometimes they appear equal in value. Sometimes they're impossible to differentiate or to prioritize. And so you're looking at these two choices. And if that is truly the case, then you must search the Scriptures, spend time in prayer, make a decision... And move on. In fact, I quoted you James 1.5. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God who give it to all men liberty. And then the Bible says in the very next verse, and let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
You know what you're going to have to do? Make a decision and trust God. Now, here's what they did. They cast lots. Now, let me talk about that for just a minute. In the Old Testament, lots were a common practice for discerning God's will. Uh, uh, a lot of tradition talks about the Umim and Thurman, and basically they were like a black rock and a white rock, kind of a yes or no, and they would put them in a bag and pull out a rock and would kind of help them make a decision. I always, in my own crazy little brain, think of a, one of those magic eight balls. All right? I'm not endorsing that. I was just saying that's what I think about sometimes. They would, you, you say, what did they use these lots for? Well, there are some specific examples in the Bible. Do you remember on the Day of Atonement, they would take two goats. One goat would be prayed over, and they would lay their hands on them, kind of identifying with that goat, confessing their sins, and then they would sacrifice that goat. He would die. They would slit his throat, burn him up, consume him. The other one they would do the same to, and they would turn that goat loose in the wilderness to wander off. It was very symbolic, right? One of those goats was paying the atonement price. And you say, well, why did they turn the one loose? Because aren't you thankful that God carries our sin far, far away? It's all symbolic. But how did they decide which goat got to live and which goat got to die? They would cast lots. Did you know when they got into the promised land, Joshua divided up the, the land to the different tribes by casting lots. You're going to find that Different duties in the temple were chosen for different ministers based on just simply casting lots. Clearly, there was a biblical place for them in the Bible. Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, you might make the argument and say, well, preacher, after this, after Acts chapter 1, you never see lots mentioned again, and you'd be right. So I'm not... I'm not saying to you that this is what you need to do. Go out and get you two different colored rocks, throw them in a bag, and that, you know, make a decision. I am telling you, and this might shock you, there have been a few times that I have made decisions by casting lots. You say, what'd you do? I flipped a coin. Now, you can chuckle, but I really did that. Not until I searched the scriptures. Not until I prayed. But there have been times that there have been two choices before me, and they've been just impossible to differentiate, and I have made the decision by flipping a coin. Now listen, if you're ever going to do that, don't you dare do this right here. That's two out of three. Don't you do that. <laughs> that's, counter, that's counterproductive to what I'm talking about here tonight. What I'm saying under this point exactly is submit to God's will when a decision has been made. You see, I believe, and you can believe what you want, but look at verse 26. It says, And they gave forth their lots. So it doesn't seem like the language of Scripture to me is indicating that they put you know, two rocks in a bag and pulled, they, they drew short straws. It doesn't seem like that. To me, I believe the lots that they were casting, it seems like a democratic vote like we practice in our churches today. It seems like everybody said, Matthias or Justice, which one do you want? They cast a vote, and when the vote was cast, they said, that's God's will. They accepted it. And by the way, I want to say this before I move on any further and wrap this up. I want you to notice that the lots came after Scripture searching and prayer. Not before, not in the middle, but the very last thing. And that's a process that we try to do here. 
if it's choosing good men to serve as deacon, we all cast our lot, and when it is done, we accept it as God's will. Listen, let's be real careful about this kind of stuff. I'm going to say this in a pastoral tone and move on. A lot of times what happens is people cast their lot, and when that lot isn't at their liking, they take their ball and go home. Now, what does that say? What does that say to an unbelieving world? What does that say to a group of believers that identifies the church? My candidate didn't get chosen, so I'm out of here. I thought we believed in the sovereignty of God's will. Just say it. I want to make good decisions in my life. What about you? You say, preacher, I want something deeper than what you're talking about. I'm sorry, all I can give you is the Bible. And it's all right here. You know what I want to do if I need to make decisions? I want to be so immersed in the Bible that principles are second nature to me. They're just at the tip of my tongue. I, I, I'm familiar with them. You know, I think of things all the time. The book of Proverbs is a great place to start because it's a book of wisdom, right? So I think of verses like the integrity of the upright shall guide them. The thought of foolishness is sin. You know, there are so many Proverbs that we can recite to ourselves that are principles to live by. Search the scriptures daily. Be in them. Let it saturate in your life. Let it by process of just repetition that you know the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. You know the principles of church life in the epistles. You, you know these truths that God has taught us. It'll help you make good decisions. You pray earnestly in all your ways, acknowledging Him, knowing that He'll direct your path. And then you make a decision and you trust God. So let me ask you a question tonight. How well do you make good decisions? You know, being in ministry for many years, I, uh, you observe a lot of people. You're involved in a lot of people's lives. You know, there are some people, they just seem to always make great decisions. They just make them. Great decision. You know, there are some people just can't seem to make a good decision. Just terrible at it. How well do you make good decisions? Well, you say, well, preacher, I'll tell you, I got a bad habit of making bad decisions. Well, then maybe you need to pause for just a moment and take a look at your decision-making process. Well, I never thought about what it is. That might be your problem. How well do you know the book? So I'm no preacher. I didn't go to a seminary. That's okay. You don't have to. But how much are you striving to know the book the best that you can? Do you regularly search the scriptures? Do you live by biblical principles? Do you pray? over your decisions? Let me ask you this final question. Do you have a hard time trusting God once a decision has been made? You know, some people do that. I pray the Lord will help us. I want to make more good decisions than I ever make bad decisions. And I pray the Lord will help us all as a church, as individuals, make good decisions.